Welcome to the Garage Gym Podcast with Parker Olfert and Alex Haig. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Garage Gym Podcast. We got a big one today. There's four of us here. We've got myself, Alex. We've got Max von Muldorfer, one of my weightlifting athletes. We have Quinn Everett, as well as his coach, Isaac Smith, who are a weightlifter and a weightlifting coach from down east here in Canada. Quinn is a multiple-time national champion at super heavyweight, and Isaac is his coach. So if you guys just want to give us a little bit about yourself, uh, Quinn, let's start off with you. Let's tell us about you. Uh, sure. So uh, I picked up weightlifting in t- the summer of 2015. I just finished playing football, played through college, um, played a couple years for uh, Winnipeg, and then uh, got cut and then struggled with what do I do now um, and knew I wanted to get into strength sports and then ended up meeting Isaac. And then uh, since then, we've been working together and, and competing and really trying to, to go with it. Isaac, how about you? Let's give us a little bit about you. Uh, started off weightlifting, um, just some exposure with canoe kayak. Um, at that point, the strongest guy at our club could power clean and, and push press or some quasi movement at 60 kilos, which we all thought was pretty badass at that time. Um, I got into CrossFit pretty early, but I, I kind of got into CrossFit with, uh, with more so weightlifting in mind. Um, I wanted to do that, but there's the only avenue that we had around here would be through CrossFit. Um, I did a number of courses. I met a few people from Cal Strength, and, uh, and from that experience, it kind of led me on to just focusing specifically on weightlifting or more so on weightlifting. Um, we didn't have an association when we first started. No, yeah, like uh, back in 2014, it was pretty well run out of uh, a guy's garage. Oh, wow. Um, I went to train with him a few times, and he's like, just give me an hour so I can put some wood in the stove. Like, that's that's how backwards it was. Um, so 2014, I was about 25 at the time. I became president of the NSWA. Um, the only member. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. President, athlete, coach, only member pretty well. Uh, and then, and then from that point, um, I started coaching or I started getting into weightlifting and I wanted people to help me out. So I'd pick up as much as I could from the internet. I'd kind of, kind of shark people from CrossFit and be like, Hey, how about you come and weightlift with me a little bit more? And then we kind of started growing, um, like a like a little team in our gym but it was more so for me to get training partners that I was kind of coaching yeah. so that it also helped me out and watch what which what I needed to do so we were kind of like we were kind of figuring out our own way just because we didn't really have a lot of guidance um from that point I just started traveling around as much as I possibly could to pick up as much weightlifting as I possibly could um, learned a lot since then learned that I knew nothing <laughs> figured out that I didn't know too much about that sport uh, and then from that point uh, Quinn came around I was fortunate enough to be able to be in a situation of where he trusted me enough to be his coach and then we've kind of been um, I've kind of been chasing them all over the world since then. Hmm. Yeah. 
All right, and then Max, let's give us a little bit about you. Um, started Olympic weightlifting last 2019, like March-ish, kind of March, summer, like full-time. I wouldn't say full-time because I'm always – I've used weightlifting for training for football since I'm kind of going into my grade 12 season right now, like kind of been using that, you know, weightlifting for football. Then I just kind of fell in love with it. But, like, I've been playing sports – all my life played hockey, lacrosse, football, like you name it, badminton, junior high, like just like, you know, anything I can do to stay active. love doing it. And yeah, that's about, yeah. Yeah. We're a little newer to the game than you guys. Yeah. I'm a little newer, I'm a little baby. It's funny. I still feel new to the game. So yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Just a, just a little 125 kilo baby, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Quinn, uh, give us a little more about your football career. How did that take off? Uh, so, I basically played any sport I could as a kid, like lacrosse, hockey, yeah. football, basketball, baseball. I basically played anything but soccer because I didn't want to run a lot. So. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, anyways, started playing football in like grade eight. I was just like a big kid, and some football dad was like, hey, come play football. So, like, okay. So I played football, just kind of did it for fun. Uh, never actually thought it was serious until like maybe grade 11 or 12 when people were saying, hey, you're on recruiting list for college. And I thought, oh, that's sick. Like to go to college and play football. I never thought that was an option. Um, ended up getting a scholarship to go to Mount A, was there for five years. Um, and I always wanted to go pro at that point, but um, didn't actually think it was – like an option. Um, I didn't think of myself ever as like a really, really good football player, but just like a grinder, just mm-hmm. a guy that just worked harder than anyone else. So that's why I got the spot, like the starting spot. So um, basically in my fourth year, I got an email from a agent that was like, Hey, I want to represent you, but you're not going to go as a D tackle. So I played like D tackle my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, you're not going to go pro as a D tackle. Like you're going to go pro as a center or a guard on offensive line. So I said, okay, um, that whole off season, I did everything I could to like learn offensive line, which you don't just learn, um, in a couple months, uh, D tackles a pretty simple position. You just plug a hole and eat a double team and don't let a line or don't let, um, linemen push you back or like climb up to the second level of the backers. Like you just, you're a plug basically. So it was super easy to do. Offensive line's a little different. You got to know defense fronts. You got to know uh, coverages. You have to know blitz patterns. You have to know tendencies. You have to, like, it's a whole different world. Um, so I ended up having a pretty good showing at a combine. Uh, got drafted later on in the draft. So I think it was, like, sixth or seventh round. I went, like, 40-something overall, um, just as, like, an investment guy. Um, went to Winnipeg. Went there. Uh, my first camp, my first like rep ever playing offensive line was against a dude that played in the NFL for a couple years. So like that didn't go too well. <laughs> um, but like everyone was cool about it. Everyone knew that I was a converted tackle. So like people weren't giving me shit about it. They were just like, well, clearly you've never seen this before. So like, here's what you do in this scenario. So it was a lot of learning and a lot of overload. And I thought, okay, I'll come here for camp. They'll probably cut me. Um, I'll go back to school finish my fifth year and then come back having more knowing more. Um, But I made the team 
my first year, which I didn't think was going to happen. Um, so I made the team, but I still made the decision. I like, I declined to dress. So I stayed on the PR the whole year. So I maintained my, um, Mount Allison eligibility my last year. So if you dress one game or if you were in a paycheck, um, for one game, you forfeit the remainder of your amateur eligibility. Yeah. So if I had three years left and I played one game in the CFL and got paid, I would lose my three years. So I had like goals I want to achieve at Mount A and I didn't achieve those yet. Um, so I wanted to go back to do that my last year and finish my degree, right? Like pro sports isn't, isn't a long-term thing, you know, wanted to stay safe, have something to fall back on, shit like that. Right. So uh, went back to Mount A halfway through the season, uh, played online that year. Um, we ended up winning our second AUS championship and we went eight, no in the regular season, which is the first time in school history, which is pretty cool. Um, so anyways, achieved a bunch of stuff that I wanted to achieve, went back the following year, thought, all right, you know, I'm going to make the team, um, and actually have a little more experience on my belt. This will be good. But I ended up getting cut that year during camp, um, because Winnipeg was hosting the great cup that year. Um, and they didn't, I mean, it makes sense. Like as far as the model, when you're hosting the great cup, you want to pump all your money into starters that are going to make a difference that year. Right. So, um, I wasn't someone that was going to come in and make a huge impact that year. I was still learning, still new. Um, I only had like really a year under my belt at this point. Right. So, uh, got cut and then I tried to get picked up by another team, but on paper, I just looked like a guy that couldn't make the conversion from D tackle to O-line. Right. Like I didn't have much game film. Um, it was hard to get picked up and a lot of guys live their life or like a big portion of their life on this bubble, on a team, off a team, on a team, off a team, on a PR, um, season's over, they spend all off season training and then they like get invited to a camp and then they get cut, you know, like people, guys do that for years. And then at the end of it, don't have anything to show for it. Don't have any savings, don't have a career, don't have a degree, stuff like that. And I didn't want to do that. I thought I'll make a serious run at it. And if it doesn't happen, that's fine. I'll just like turn the page and do something else. So I gave myself to a certain point in that season. Uh, if I didn't get picked up or any interested, any interest, I was just going to call it. So that point came up, called my agent and said, Hey, is there any news? And he said, no, no bites, like wrong time, wrong place to get cut kind of thing. And then, uh, just hung up the cleats at that point, moved on and then got into weightlifting basically. So as you were kind of on that bubble of in between on and off teams, like, did you have weightlifting in the back of your mind already or how did that come about? Was that something that you'd been doing for strength and conditioning beforehand, or was this something you hadn't even touched yet? So with football, like everyone cleans, right? Yeah. I mean, calling it cleaning is generous, but everyone does hip throws. Um, and that's fine. Like football players aren't Olympic weightlifters. They don't have to know how to clean perfectly, right? It's just a, a power movement. Um, so I was cleaning since I was like 13 or 14. Um, maybe 15. Anyways, a long time. Uh, never really snatched, never jerked. Um, yeah. I mean, I might've snatched, but again, it was probably just like a long pull or something like it's not an actual snatch. Uh, but I always knew I wanted to get into strength sports after football because I never wanted to admit it to myself until football ended, but I kind of liked training for football more than I actually liked football. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I'm in too deep at this point. I can't admit my, that to myself. So, um, but then when the career was over, I was like, yeah, I like training way better than football. Um, but I like, again, this is 2015. So like kind of Googled strength sports in Nova Scotia and there wasn't much for strongman or powerlifting or weightlifting. Some of them had websites, but they were like, not very user-friendly and there wasn't just like a call here if you're interested or like go here if you're interested it was like this it, it was hard to start so I thought you know whatever finds me first I'll do yeah right? um and then I spent most of the summer trying to get a job as a recent grad that's very difficult um got a job and the first week one of my coworkers was wearing a Nova Scotia weightlifting association shirt. So I was like, Hey, like, bring me, bring me. And he was like, Oh, maybe, maybe. And then I took out a video and showed him me cleaning and he was like, okay, yeah, let's go. So that's how I, I, I kind of just like fell into it. I was yeah. willing to do strongman or powerlifting or weightlifting, anything that just kept me in a gym and kept me competitive. But uh, weightlifting found me first through the coworker. And that's how I met Isaac. Isaac uh, was his coach. Oh yeah. So that was yeah. just kind of a huge coincidence that you ended up meeting. Totally. That. Totally. Like complete fluke. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, as you were saying about websites not being user-friendly and being impossible to find information about weightlifting on the internet, not much has changed. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of consistent. I mean, weightlifting is like this, this secret society that lives in people's basements, but it's, uh, it's a pretty sweet sport. And like, I know it's like getting more user-friendly and coming to life, especially with the help of CrossFit. People are realizing that like snatch and clean and jerk is a sport. Yeah. As opposed to just CrossFit movements. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what was kind of that first little bit of you transitioning to weightlifting from football? Like, was it a steep learning curve since you'd never really jerked or snatched before? What was that like? Well, everything Isaac smiling, like squats, pull, and cleans were great, but snatches and jerks were a nightmare. Like yeah. I could in four pounds, but I could snatch maybe like a hundred pounds. Like it was important, uh, really important. It's just like all pushing and pulling, especially as a big guy. Um, yeah. There's never at any point you put weight or strength over your head. The only thing I think about is like, if you're a DB or receiver, like catching a ball, but even then, like you're not training a whole lot of overhead movements the way you are training like squat, dead bench right? Yeah. Um, and cleans. So my overhead strength was super weak and still is weak compared to like my, yeah, you're pushing and pulling. lower body and pulling and cleaning strength. But yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, that was weird. Like my, my first time I qualified for nationals, um, I opened at a 110 snatch and I almost bombed out on it. I hit it on my third attempt my PR at this point was like 130. So <laughs> I almost bombed at 110. Yeah. I'd and and then I hit 180 on the clean and jerk to get a 290 total. And that was the qualifying total that year for supers. So oh wow. It's like it was like this, but it's like it's getting closer, but it's still quite a gap. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's almost just a thing with heavyweights at a certain point. Yeah. Well it it was it was a uh, it was a huge learning curve just like getting into position holding a bar overhead and just like being able to know how to engage my lats holding a bar overhead things like yeah. that I still like 
not struggle with it, but it's still something we work on. Yeah. So Isaac, can you speak a little bit to what it was like first training Quinn when he first came in the gym? Like, what were your thoughts when you first met Quinn? Um, who is this guy? Uh, so the group that we had, it was kind of like, you almost had to be invited into it. And the, the, the guy that, that uh, brought Quinn, he's a bit of an anomaly. Like he's a bit of a space cadet. So he, uh, he's just, he's just, he's a great guy, but he's a bit of an oddball. So you see him just bring in this giant human bear. And you're like, oh, this is my buddy Quinn. And, and we're kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll fit you in where we can, but we got a, we got a class going on. So yeah. I asked him, like, can you snatch? He's like, I've done it a few times. And I was like, okay, well, we're doing on-the-minute snatches. Can you do that? He's like, I, I, I'll try, but we, we, we ended up like, him doing a clean workout. And, yeah. uh, and like, he was someone who was just raw strength and power so he was came in he had those old Reebok zigzags um and I think he went like I think he was using pound plates at the time he went like 135 185 185 to two and I think we were like closer to 300 pounds because like we didn't have enough kilo plates for him to use yeah and then at this time I'm, I'm watching him move holy shit, this guy's talented. Um, so at that point on that session, like it started off terribly because I didn't know like this guy is walking into our gym. I have no idea who he is to being like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, we could probably do something pretty cool here in the next few years. Like we need to like, I, and we had this conversation pretty well the first week. I'm like, you're going to feel like you are being rushed to, to learn how to snatch and to learn how to jerk. Because from when he started to when we were aiming for the first qualifying work, um, qualifying competition, it was like, what, two months? Yeah, it yeah. was, I started with you end of August, started September, and our first competition was like November. So it was pretty quick turnaround. Right. And at this point, like, he was missing 90 kilo snatches. All like, the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Like, like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be weird just to walk in and see me missing like a 60 kilo snatch like i just didn't know how to snatch at all right so at it right then you kind of knew like okay he's a he's a diamond in the rough for sure yeah um, but he is he is capable of of meddling within his first year he's capable of doing something pretty cool within a very short period of time yeah so a lot of a lot of investment or like uh like time equity was put into him immediately from that point. Yeah. 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 I feel like it was kind of a similar thing when Max first walked into our gym. Cause I remember you came in and it was, you were in for some football training Yeah. and Rob and I at the time were like, okay, this guy's 15 and he's huge and he can hold a front rack position and he can squat to death. Okay. There's something here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'd be surprised how many like big guys in football can't squat to depth. Like it's it's pretty common to see big boys and like linemen that actually can't get all the way down, like Astagrass, mm -hmm. have a hard time yeah. even breaking parallel. Yeah, because I feel like there's a lot of football strength coaches out there that just took Louis Simmons' West Side for football, and they're like, "Hey, this is all I need, nothing else." 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or we can we can get you to squat a few inches higher, but I can put it on the internet that I got you to squat 600 pounds or 650 or whatever, whatever it ends up being. Yeah, instead of that long-term approach. But like, in my opinion, it's way more impressive when you have someone putting that much weight on their back, but they're going like ass to grass. It right. just takes a little bit longer, but if you just don't rush that process. Right. Mm. Like, even when you first came in, Max, like what was your squat like when you first came in? I think my squat, I think like the first month, month I squatted 400 for a double, so <laughs> 180 for a double. Yeah. Nice. That was yeah, like, that was last March, like, like 2019 March. And now, you know. Yeah. 15 year old Max. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Like five, six, five, six, five, sixty. Yeah. So Isaac, can you speak a little more to what resources you were using to kind of learn how to coach and learn a little bit more about weightlifting? Cause you mentioned you ran into a few people from Cal strength and then you were trying to just absorb as much information as you could. Right. Um, so leading up into that point, like, again, there, there wasn't much for, for weightlifting at all. Like, um, I remember doing my first CrossFit cert and I'll try and have a conversation of like, do the bar and the body interact? Like, does that happen at all? And everything is like, well, it kind of depends. And that's the best answer that I could get. Yeah. And, you know, there was videos, like there's, there were videos from Catalyst. There were videos from, um, from um, California Strength. There were those things that you're able to, to, to like extrapolate information from, or you're able to watch them. Um, you're able to watch their lifters, but leading up into meeting a few people from, from Cal strength, there is, you basically had to figure it out your own way. Yeah. It, it, in terms of creativity and experimenting, like I learned a lot that way, but I wasn't given a lot of like, uh, like concrete information. Um, I was down in the course in Arizona. Uh, there's a few people from Cal strength there and they weren't, big athletes like they they were crossfitters that trained at cal strength to improve their weightlifting and so i i pretty well just be like listen man i don't care if i have to pay you but like during lunch just tell me everything that you know like give me as much as you possibly can um because these guys were these guys were taking my back squat 5rm and they were doing like set for set back and forth of a light day or easy day squatting five sets of five. And I was like, man, I bust my ass for this shit. And these guys <laughs> are just doing it easy. Like I'm tired of being jack of all trades. Yeah. So from that point, from that point, I kind of did as much as I could. Like I brought um, the late great Don McCauley and um, up to Nova Scotia and I learned as wow. much as I could from him um sean rigsby was there like i was able to learn from those guys quite a bit um and i pretty well like when i was 25 28 finance bringing people to nova scotia to to do mini training camps or training camps so that we can upgrade the overall information yeah um some were great some were not but they're learning experiences regardless yeah um, I did some mentorships with uh, some of the French Canadian coaches and we, we brought their athletes down um, and I learned a lot from them. But I think if you don't have access to that sort of information, it's 
the thing that I learned the most or the most from was actually going down to Worlds in 2015, just because there's, there's something that you see about the lift that watching it, even though that um, the video quality is great now, there's something about seeing the rhythm in real life that you yeah. can't, can't capture on a camera. And that's kind of where I learned up to that point the absolute most is that I watch sessions from 8 a.m. to 11.30 at night at like 45 degrees at the same chair or day in day out so that I can watch this, that I can watch this lift and this completion as best as I possibly could. And there's, again, like there's the rhythm of the lift that you can't necessarily see from video or like maybe you guys weren't around when this particularly happened, but there is a point of where you must hit the bar as hard as you possibly can. And like, you're basically impregnating the barbell. Yeah. 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 Right. But that's like, shit, man. That's like the information that I had. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was deconstructing from that point of where like, there's certainly going to be an interaction here, but yeah. that interaction is not happening the way that I perceived it leading up into this point of actually seeing it in real life. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think I'm, I'm tangenting off here if I can reel this back in, but, um, a lot of the coaches that I picked up the most from were definitely the French Canadian coaches, even the French Canadian athletes, because they would do things that were typically not, not seen around in, in a lot of programming. Like we had Alex Belmar doing a training camp with us and he did three sets of six at 120 kilos for snatches before he went up to a one RM. And I think he like, he missed 150 that day or he went after 153. Um, seeing a lot of the stuff that like Moshron would do or um, Crystal Nagarin, like, and their coaches picking up as much information from them. I learned a lot from Yvonne Darcy just by watching them coach. Like that's like, I think that's, that's, they were great resources and assets to be around for sure. Yeah. I think they have kind of like, a little bit of quasi secret information because they don't do a whole lot of anything on the internet in, in right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they do have a whole lot of this knowledge that just doesn't end up getting shared with anyone outside of their circle. So that's a really right. opportunity. Mm -hmm. But when you talk to them about it, they're good. Like yeah. if you buy any one of them a beer and if they are able to understand your English, like you're great, they'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Just cool. an old school approach to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So then what are your guys' goals kind of moving forward for this next quad here? Oh, what's at the end of that quad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we don't know if it's going to be 2024 or 2025. Like we don't know how the, the regulations are going to be. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's kind of the investment that we kind of made from day one. Like yeah. um, with, uh, when I started working with Quinn, we had, a, we had a coach from Ontario that said like, he basically said, if Quinn doesn't snatch 190 and clean and jerk 240, you fucked up. <laughs> and like, I was 20, I was 25 at this point. <laughs> and I'm just like, holy shit. Like, I need to learn now. I need to learn as much as I possibly can now. But that's kind well, of. Well, like the day before I was missing like 90 kilos on snatches. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> half a meter forward, like trying yeah. to save it. But, but that was, that's kind of the thing. It's just like, he's, he's right now for him as, as a super like he's one of the strongest people around 
And it's like, there's something that we both believe in that he's capable of doing. So that's kind of been our driving force for from the point where we started working together for however long, like Quinn's in the game. Yeah, I feel like that's like almost anyone's goal too, right? Is to like yeah. achieve the highest level of competitiveness or highest level of competition in the sport they're in, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we could sit here and say, yeah, I want to go to the Olympics, but so does everyone, right? But uh, yeah. It, it, yeah, that's that's the end goal. And whether it happens or not, like we're still going to compete and still going to go to these competitions and still going to train. Yeah, because it's all just like one large process, right? And whether or totally. not for the Olympics or for world championships, like r- really all that changes is the time frame rather than what's going on in the middle. Mm-hmm. All right. What else do we have here? What are some special considerations you take into training for working with a super heavyweight, Isaac? Who is going to be a fun one. So a, a good coach once told me is one large guy equals 10 small guys. And what he meant by that is that because athletes that are, are larger, there's more of their body that they have to move in space. There's more awareness that they have to develop the learning curve is a little bit longer. So that's why part of the reason in a closer to drug-free uh, weightlifting, you're starting to see the average age of supers be a little bit higher than um, athletes in like the welterweight classes or the middleweight classes. And that's, that's the thing. Like there'll be points of when Quinn and I will be having a conversation and like I, like, I appreciate, appreciate this guy to death but it'll be like, he'll go from one lift that will look not great to another lift that will look phenomenal. And I, I want him to understand that like every athlete, you want to build autonomy with them. I'm yeah. like, all right, did you feel the difference there? And he'd be like, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like they're the same. <laughs> and to me, like, like I'm, I'm almost getting like, I understand that it takes him a little bit longer in that case. Yeah. So um, what I've, what I've usually done before with most athlete, athletes is that I give them variations and I, I use that as a stimulus because if I just go to power snatches cleans um power snatches snatches if I'm only in and like uh, hangs like if I only use those variations I don't want to pigeonhole his progress I don't want to get stuck at something yeah but if I'm giving him variation for him it was just like it would be like day one and learning how to snatch again so mm-hmm. learning how to block snatch was just as hard or difficult is learning how to snatch learning how to do um like a no foot mo- foot movement power clean to work on something in particular that would take him just as long so it got to a point of where i'm like well if i can't use variation as a stimulus then i have to use volume as a stimulus so we'll do things of where we had to build him up from doing sets of threes up to sets of fours up to sets of fives even in the things of where he's doing sets of six on hang snatches and we'll do that for a shorter block to give you that stimulus yeah and then we'll progressively we'll go from sixes to fours to twos then we'll go from fours to threes to twos and then we'll go through like threes to twos to ones and that's not that's the easiest way for me to explain it yeah. but it's better it was better for us to make more progress because we're able to add tonnage because he's very yeah. objective so it's not something where he's feeling the movement out. He's like, am I adding more load to this? So it's more about having higher volume for shorter blocks. And then because he's such a fast adapter, 
rather than doing a particular rep to five weeks, we'll adjust the reps much quicker. But each time that we restart, we'll just start a little bit lower. So we're going from 110 on sixes cycle to uh, to fours and twos, but we'll start at 120 for fives and then cycle back. And then by that time when he's on triples and doubles, he's like, this isn't killing me anymore. Like this feels light, this feels easy. Like I'm not going to die. It feels like my spleen is gonna pop out of my eye after a set of six on snatches or hang snatches. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can kind of attest to that as well because I've been trying to give Max variation as a stimulus. And then, yeah. Not yeah. a big, not a big fan of it so far. No. <laughs> so yeah, we'll go to like a deficit snatch with an eccentric lower, and then snatch from as the plates are just above the platform, and it's like, right. oh, it's day one of learning how to snatch again. <laughs> right, and like when you have, I I kind of equate it to like your weightlifting career is pretty well dog years. Like you only have thirteen years to do something. Yeah. So I can spend this time and teaching him this new variation, but if we have a competition in like three months, I need something more that I can see something more output driven for him. Like if yeah. we had more time and like he's not competing over the next year, then we can probably play like, let's do more block work. Let's, um, we'll do no contact work. Let's do these other variations that we're adding um, variation and stimulus. But for the time being, it made more sense for us to be like, I know this is going to be uncomfortable, but you're doing sets of five hang snatches or hang power snatches. I'd rather do sets of six snatches than uh, no contact snatches. Like if I never have to do a no contact snatch, I will be a very happy athlete. Yeah. <laughs> like if I never have to do one again, I'll be very happy. <laughs> yeah. He'd rather take sixes versus singles. So that's, and he's a super heavyweight. So that's got to tell you something. Yeah. 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 There was one point where like all I was doing was no contact snatches for like a couple weeks and we ended up maxing it out. And I was just like, man, this sucks. Like, I hate this. This is so hard and so different. I just mm -hmm. want to like snatch, like give me sixes, give me eights. I don't care. I'll just snatch that. Yeah, all right. Eight. That's a 12 okay. snatch. <laughs> honestly still rather do that than no contact snatches so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like it was dying every time i dove under the bar mm -hmm. so how long of uh of a cycle does it usually take you to work from like say sixes down to twos and then back up to threes and then back down to ones is that something that's like six weeks eight weeks if you're asking me i have no idea <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that's an isaac thing yeah. um so usually just because he adapts quickly to reps, but he also adapts very quickly to intensity. We like each week I get feedback from him and that's going to adjust the following week or the next week. But if I'm going to average it out, it's going to be two week blocks. So it'll be a two week block of sixes, a two week block of fours, a two week block of twos. Um, and then we'll go back up to fives. And then we'll do, if he has two bad days in a row, then what we'll do is that we'll do like a, a reactive deload and then we'll make those next few days a little bit lighter. And then we, we restart the week that, you know, he didn't snatch the numbers that we were intending on snatches or intending to snatch. So usually for that, it ends up being about two week blocks. Um, when we go into more of an intensity cycle, we're touching 
we're touching like a specific stimulus or like a specific rep for usually about two workouts and then we'll bring the reps down just because if he pushes a clean and jerk double he might not come back from that for 10 days yeah so like i need to make sure that we're we're coaxing progression yeah rather than I just get him loading and putting him in the dirt right because yeah. if i if i push him or if we we push something for like clean and jerk doubles for too long or like hang hang triples for too long and he hits a specific percentage or a specific number that's real that's higher then what's going to end up happening is like i miss a week because he needs to back off from training yeah. and then if I'm looking to peak at the in two weeks from that point i i pretty well peaked him too early mm -hmm. so if i'm adjusting the reps more frequently we tend to mitigate the damage unless he kind of like goes off program he's like ah oh, fuck it i'm gonna do like i'm gonna do 150 for like a hang double for snatches and then on the on the friday following from tuesday he's like mm, like i'm beat up yeah probably shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have done that yeah i feel like our training relationship is constantly me wanting to go up and isaac just like tugging my leash yeah being I like no <laughs> yeah. yeah that sounds like me and max yeah yeah like max okay we're gonna go to a heavy double today and he's like okay but now i'm gonna take it to a single and then just no no complex just the one yeah <laughs> yeah i'll do that sometimes mm -hmm. um and then another thing too is like how do you think we can get more athletes to transition from collegiate sports over to weightlifting when they're done because weightlifting isn't necessarily an early entry sport right it's something that people can do after they're done a whole career in another sport and still find success in um when you want to take this one first? yeah i yeah. so like i agree with you and disagree with you like i think like you you asked how do we get people to transition to weightlifting after they're done their sport so i think you should almost be asking how do we get people to make weightlifting their sport right like their their first sport um so I guess to answer your question, it's uh, probably have like uh, more um, like strength conditioning coaches of their sport that they're in. Um, they should have like a better understanding of the the movements, snatch, clean, and jerk, and just like let people know that, you know, weightlifting is actually a sport. Yeah. Like when I tell people I'm a weightlifter, they're just like, oh, my friend's nephew is a weightlifter. He's the strongest man in Canada or something. And I'm like, cool, <laughs> probably not, but like good for them. Like, yeah, they go to the gym three times a week, right? I get a lot of that. And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. You don't know what weightlifting is. Like, it's not your fault. But, like, <laughs> weightlifting is just not very well known around here. Um, and I think, like, like I said, if, if strength conditioning coaches have a, in other sports have a better understanding of the movements. Like, everyone knows what a clean is, right? Or for the most part, like, it's taught in a lot of sports. It's in a lot of strength conditioning programs, um, and people know that powerlifting is bench dead squat, but they just think powerlifting is anything like strong man weightlifting. They all think it's called powerlifting. So I guess some sort of that, but also I think what'll help with that is getting kids in weightlifting earlier. So kids know when they're younger, that it's an option. Um, maybe not make it their primary sport, but know that it is an option when they're done playing, you know, baseball or hockey or whatever um after college or they can do both to a certain point right yeah i think it's it's more so about getting a younger crowd into weightlifting earlier on like teaching it as a sport in gym class teaching it 
um, like having after school programs that are based around weightlifting and, and things like that, right? I think that's how you get more people in the sport long term. Because then the kids bring it home, and then all of a sudden there's like parents that are like ex collegiate athletes that are like, oh, wow, like I can be competitive at something when I'm 40. Like there's a master's division. That's awesome. I'm going to do that. Right. Yeah. I think it's more so starting them young instead of just saying, how do we get the leftovers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I can come in here. Um, I think the thing that I've been somewhat, because we kind of have to MacGyver everything. Like we have to, like, we don't have a lot of financial resources. So the thing that I've done is, is I partner up with sports that have an opposing season to us. So swimming, track and field, um, and soccer. Right now I have, I have a junior from each of those sports and I do mentorships with the track and field coaches of being like, you don't need necessarily need, like if you're going to be doing this on your own with your own athletes, we can do one of two things. I can teach you to teach them how to do a power clean or when they're not training um, or when they're not, they're not in season for track and field, I have something for them to do. So they're not just, you know, sitting around on their ass for the next nine months because the track and field season, at least around here is pretty short. Yeah. So if like, I think the point is right now is that I, because we don't have the same visibility and we kind of alluded to it that like, we're not doing so great on social media unless it's specific athletes that are putting something out or you putting something out on social media. I think it's the point of where coaches are like, you know, go to the sports that don't have a lot of money in them. Like around here, wrestling doesn't have a lot of money. You can't get a hockey kid because they're already like, they already have some sort of contract with a trainer that trained this one guy that's in the, um, the NHL. Yeah. But athletes that, are in swimming or athletes that are in lacrosse or even like ringette or badminton, what, whatever it ends up being, go to the sports that ha- don't necessarily have the same finances as like the big three, create relationship with their coaches and be like, Hey, like I will give them an opportunity to continue on with training. You have better athletes. If they don't get a scholarship out of university, then at least I give them a fallback on. Yeah. Rather than someone starting off at 19 and they're like, okay, I need to find a sport, they find you. You have them from the point of where they're 15. And even though they're only weightlifting two to three times a week for half the year, that's a significantly larger base than just starting at 19. Yeah. 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 And how many athletes are there that they love sports in high school? They're on their football team, they're on a soccer team, whatever team. But then they realize, okay, I'm not going to get a scholarship to a varsity team. Now they're just like, okay, I have nothing left to do, right? That's a huge population of people that if they were weightlifting throughout high school, even just twice a week, that could just transition right into that. Right. If you're part of a club, it's club membership and weightlifting shoes. Yeah. Like it's not an incredibly expensive sport for a lot of beginner athletes. Yeah. Like you guys will be traveling around quite a bit and some of it's probably going to come out of your own dollar. Like, Quinn and I have had to finance our own things. That's when things get a little expensive. Yeah, but, but that's going to be the same for any sport if you're going internationally. You got to go to a high level. Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, like I have old weightlifting shoes that I would love to give someone that started or is starting, right? I know yeah. not every kid has size 14 feet, but <laughs> I know a lot of people that just like have old weightlifting shoes that they just like wore out or 
the strap busted or, you know, they got messed up or whatever. And they're like, optimally, they're not good anymore. Right. You know, they're cheaper, made cheaper now. So, um, man, like if a kid came in and was weightlifting and was size 14 feet and was like, I like weightlifting, I'd literally bring in all my spares and be like, pick one. What do you want? Like, do you want a white pair, a black pair? Do you want to mix and match? Like take whatever you want, man. (laughs) So like, I think, people like the people involved in weightlifting love weightlifting so much because they like it gave them um, something to remain competitive in after their primary sport kind of ended or it, uh, it, I mean, you, you gain a lot of relationships in it and friendships um, that are like internationally, right. Um, Just from competing um, and meeting people. So like they want to share this with people and they're willing to do it so much to like, if someone walks in the door, it's like, yeah, here, have these shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know one thing I try to do now is like, okay, I look on Kijiji every once in a while. I'm like, okay, it's a pair of shoes, 30 bucks, pick them up. Kid walks yeah. in, needs shoes, here's shoes. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, other sports, like when I started playing football, all you needed was cleats and they supplied everything else. Cleats and mouth guard. That's all you needed. They, they supplied helmet, shoulder pads, game pants, game jerseys, practice jerseys, everything. And then same in high school. And then like, they even do the laundry in, you know, college, they, they do your laundry for you. Like it's, it's crazy. And then in weightlifting, it's like, please like take these shoes and come train with us. Right. <laughs> like it's, it's a totally different world as far as a lot of that is like funding. Right. Mm-hmm. And membership base. I mean, our, our biggest competition is provincials and that's in November and we have a cap on how many people can enter and it's like 60 or 70 or 80 people i think and that's like the biggest competition in the maritimes probably is like 60 people and it's huge for the maritimes but if you go to like montreal or ontario or something like that's just like a club comp yeah or close to it anyways it's like the they have such bigger membership and again back to what i was saying about like teaching it in gym class um I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure a lot of the Quebec schools actually teach it in gym class. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. And they have like high school clubs and they have high school teams and they have competitions the same way that, you know, like the high school soccer team plays this other high school soccer team. I think it's similar in the weightlifting world. I might be wrong on that, but from what I heard, that's the model. Yeah, it's slowly, slowly moving that way in Alberta. Because in the Calgary public education system, every sports performance class has to do a weightlifting unit. Oh, nice. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And and up in Edmonton, um, they have two schools that have full weightlifting platforms, plates. One school has, what, 18 18 sets of Alico plates and bars. Yeah. Really? Yeah, they have have the nicest gym in Alberta. Basically – like it's the nicest, really nicest gym in like Western Canada for like weightlifting, and it's a high school. That's more Alico sets that exist in the Maritimes, man. Yeah, yeah that's, like, well, that's where we. That's where they had uh, junior nationals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that was a nice spot. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah super nice spot. It's like it's a perfect warm up room because it's just a gym with eighteen platforms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we had uh, we had some universities that were starting to get clubs, but the problem with that is that or not really problem but the issue of why they can't keep like going more than a few years is like their student run so it's a student at dal that's like i love weightlifting 
and there's another student at Dow that's like, I love weightlifting too. And they're like, let's start a club. And they start a club, right? And they're usually yeah. like second or third year before they realize you can actually start a club and how to do it. And they do it. They get a few people and then they graduate. Yeah. And then the club just like not falls apart, but dwindles. And then it just kind of like rinses and repeats. So there's never really like a I don't know, club captain, if that's what you call it, yeah. um, who was there like long-term, like a coach or something. Um, I think that might be changing now, but I remember a few years ago, Dal had like a club that was starting up and then it just like didn't and it's starting up again now. And I know Acadia had a really strong club for a few years and then a lot of the guys graduated. And now I don't know if Acadia has a club. I, I might be wrong on that, but like these universities get clubs and they're student run and then the students graduate and then it just kind of like falls off a little bit yeah so that's been hard to like maintain clubs yeah because one of the things i'm kind of struggling with is like i'm going back to school at university of alberta for my master's mm -hmm. and while i'm there my supervisor wants me to run a weightlifting club but then i'm thinking okay i run this weightlifting club while i'm here for two years and then i graduate and then, and then what, what? Oh, yeah exactly right yeah yeah you put all this work into something that only exists for two years and then you either got to keep doing it or just recruit someone to take this load of work, right? Yeah, right, which is going to add more hours to your day to train them to train others. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. You should do it though. Yeah, yeah 100%. Don't do <laughs> there's, there's no way I'm just not gonna do it, but I'm yeah. <laughs> how do I make this run if I'm not there anymore? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Max, in, your like high school environment is there anyone that even knows what weightlifting is or are you just like the no, liar no. They, like they just like they see me like you know snatch and they're like oh that's the clean and jerk right like yeah. they like they just probably like you know see it on instagram like you know like the high school kid that just clean you know 405 mm. like they think that's like you know a clean and jerk or like you know that's what they think weightlifting is mm -hmm. i'm like yeah it's actually you know there's some like a snatch clean and jerk like like they don't know and like with the, like in you know Quinn knows this like with like football guys like we know kind of what weightlifting is like you know you know how to clean no one really jerks no one really snatches but like if you tie like if if football kids are my age and like just general like athletes speed athletes power athletes like throwers and track and field or you know offensive linemen and defensive linemen in football like if they start like understanding weightlifting now or even doing it like the kids that don't you know play varsity sports will be able to you know say oh now I can weightlift now and you know go to junior nationals because qualifying for junior nationals for me was 139 kilo total <laughs> wow right. really yeah like That's the stand, like the standards yeah, are yeah there's no there's basically no standards yeah right so like and you can tell that to kids you're like you can go to a national meet after only one year of doing the sport yeah mm -hmm. right and that's cool because i've gone to nationals for lacrosse football like like and it's cool like yeah yeah um, I mean, one of the problems with that is, sure, there's no standards to get to junior nationals, but then you go to junior nationals, and then 
in your example, it's like, okay, you have a total that's good enough to get you to like a youth Pan Ams or youth worlds. Mm-hmm. You got to pull teeth from Canada weightlifting and be like, Hey, how do we get this kid going somewhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the, like you saw it as a really good job at like developing younger athletes too. And I think um, like they have the youth Pan Ams, youth world teams. And I think, uh, I mean, the new leadership in the CWF um, should help that long-term as well. So yeah. that I think, I, I know they're like, like the new AO series uh, that was supposed to come to Canada before the whole COVID thing happened. Like I know we're partnering um, a lot with USAW and I think that's going to be good for the development of like younger kids in the long run. Um, yeah. Learning from the USAW models, um, learning how they, you know, just what they do and how they do it and seeing how we can mimic that. And again, I can't speak for the CWF, but that's kind of what it seems like is happening. And it's, it's yeah. awesome. It's only going to be good things. Yeah. I really hope that they can bring in the USAW model of like coach education as well, because I think that's something that would be super beneficial for coaches here. Cause like you were saying before, Isaac, there was like, there was nothing and you kind of just had to figure out your own way. Right. Because if Canada weightlifting could bring in the USAW model of teaching there's so much more content in there than there is in the NCCP. Right. And I think the, the big issue with that, it was just, it's up to the province. So it's not like the information that you get from Quebec versus Nova Scotia versus Saskatchewan. Like they're supposed to follow a very loose curriculum, Yeah, but it can be based on the coach's biases mm-hmm. or is it really about coaching people or getting people to know how to coach? Or is this a, like, um, I'm just going to farm as many people through this over X amount of weekends because they're all paying me 350 plus a month. Yeah. Or 350 plus for the course. Yeah. So I think there needs to be more of a government run um, government or more of an umbrella system rather than it just being up to the provinces. Yeah. Like you're going to look at the pedigree of experience from you guys out West to Ontario to to, um, Quebec. But then you have like in Newfoundland, their provincials was in a guy's basement. (laughs) Okay. I was in that basement because I actually had to qualify there twice because we didn't have anything here, but like, that's what they have. Um, Like, what is someone from PEI who was, you know, maybe he did uh, CrossFit weightlifting and that's his bias. And now he has this loose criteria of what, what weightlifting is supposed to be weightlifting for the NCCP. He's just going to go with what he knows. Yeah. So that's, that's the big thing about it. Like there needs to be something that is, and, I, and I'm pretty sure they are working with it. Like I know, Yvonne Darcy got asked to help out with the coaching education. I'm pretty sure uh, Greg Chin is helping out yeah. with um, with the level one, level two. And that guy is like business-wise Lizard. for weightlifting, coaching-wise for weightlifting. Like he is a phenomenal asset for Canadian weightlifting. Definitely. Shout out to, to Greg Chin there. Shout out. RIP yeah. just left. Yeah. <laughs> Long live just left. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, I think that's all that I had for notes here. Is there anything else you guys wanted to cover? Hmm. I'll manage your podcast. Yeah, man. <laughs> you got any other questions? We can fire on questions. You can go. We can that. shoot the shit all day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Max, did you have anything else you wanted to chat about? Nah, I'm, I'm all good, yeah. All right. 
You strong silent type over there with Max, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smile and nod, bud. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. It was awesome to have some insight from you guys down east as what weightlifting's like down there and what it's like across Canada. No, man. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll have to chat again sometime. See how yeah, you bet. after quarantine's done. Totally. Okay.